Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today, including how sometimes a failed video might succeed. NVIDIA is rumored to have another Shield-like device in the works. We'll talk about that in a second. Tesla is going to let their owners uh, rent out their cars for an autonomous Uber competitor. We'll explore that topic in a little bit. Music services and voice assistance and why sometimes those playlist syncing services that we talked about this week on the channel might make sense. And we will look at how content companies are no longer selling content, they're selling subscriptions. Lots to see now, so let's get to it. And I want to take a minute to thank our newest supporters on the channel, including Kelvin Watson, who contributed via the donor box page. We also had Justin Weir, Chonflay98, and Zam. Those folks in red contributed via a super chat from last week's premiere of the wrap-up. Now, we're not premiering the wrap-up this week, but next week, hopefully, we'll get back to doing that. And I want to thank everyone for their contributions to the channel this week, along with everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, as well as everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by Plex and their Plex Pass, which offers premium features for their very popular media streaming application. I use Plex to stream TV shows and movies and other media, including music, uh, that I have in my control that I've ripped over to my network-attached storage device in the closet there. I can watch it on all of my NVIDIA Shields and all of my mobile devices, and then when I leave the house... Plex actually transcodes in real time, so I get smaller versions of my rather large media for consuming through cellular connections. And when you step up to the Plex Pass, you get many more new features, including the ability to use their DVR, which also lets you watch live TV when you're away from home. You get mobile syncing for offline viewing, so if you've got a couple of movies that you want to load up for a plane trip, you can just click download, and it will perform just like the major streaming services do, Make a smaller copy that goes right onto your phone and it's uh, able to play back without an internet connection. You get free Plex apps for just about every device that's out there. You get parental restrictions so the kids don't stumble across some of your media you don't want them seeing. There's an awesome subtitle search where you can find subtitles and inject them into your media automatically without having to download things in multiple steps. You get early access to new features and a lot more. And if you want to check out the Plex Pass, you can do so at the link that you see on screen. I want to thank Plex for their ongoing support of the channel. And it's one of those things that I use every day and get a lot of value out of. And I hope you can check it out. So now let's take a look at the week in review. On the Extras channel, I unboxed the Brino TLC 2000 time-lapse camera. Uh, this is something that you might use on a construction site to document the construction of a building. It'll take a picture like every five minutes and it'll stitch them all together after a month or two and give you a pretty cool look at that building going up in very short order. And I've got it unboxed and right now it's sitting outside documenting the growth of the leaves on the trees in my yard because we're in that uh, period of the springtime where things are starting to bloom and I'm really eager to see what that video might look like. Uh, when it is done. So we'll have a full review of that once those trees get some leaves on them and hopefully the 30-day battery life that they promote on this product will be the actual battery life. We'll see when that happens. I also did a mini review of another charging dock for the iPhone and Apple Watch. This one from Belkin. A pretty nice little device there that you can put on your nightstand for charging up your devices. You can see both of those videos linked on screen here. 
or you can check out the master playlist down below in the video description. And we put up a bunch of content on the main channel this week, but as you'll hear, it didn't do all that well, at least at this point. Uh, we have a review of the Acer Nitro 50, which is a relatively low-cost desktop gaming PC, about 800 bucks with an AMD GPU inside. Uh, we also looked at how to copy and sync music playlists between different services. Uh, that was a Plex-sponsored video and works with Tidal, which is linked to Plex now, but there are other uses for it too, which we covered in the video. And if you've ever wanted to have playlists that you've spent a lot of time curating on one service brought to another, I found a really nice free way to do that. And there's another service that will actually keep them synchronized for you as well. Uh, so lots of fun stuff to look at there if you are doing a lot of streaming music. And I also put together a little special video comparing the launch sound of the Space Shuttle to the SpaceX Falcon Heavy. And the reason why I did this is that I had very high quality audio of both launches that I took when I was at those launches and I thought it might be fun to compare the two. And this is one of those things you wanna fire up your home theater system for or put on some headphones to get the full range of audio. And I think you might find it interesting if you are into space. And again, that will be listed down below in the master playlist. And we should also hopefully have this video ready for you finally. Uh, my friend Matt Reese came over and he is uh, working with a lot of these high-speed cameras. And we did a video not only showing you some high-speed footage, but also how the camera works, its interface, and all the things you got to think about when setting up one of these shots. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we spent an entire day uh, out on my back deck experimenting with this camera and learning how it works. And hopefully you'll get some value out of that so you can understand what goes into all of those fancy slow motion videos you might see on YouTube. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 113 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And as I indicated at the outset here, the videos uploaded this week didn't do all that great. Uh, here's an example of one of those, the Acer Nitro 50. And one of the things that the new YouTube studio is providing to me uh, is a comparison of how one video does compared to the others on my channel. And you can see insofar as views are concerned and watch time was following the similar trend here, uh, this review of the Nitro 50 is running uh, pretty much at the low end of the usual or now a little bit below the usual traffic I get when I upload something. And it's been interesting to uh, dive into these things a bit because I'm getting a better sense as to what is really engaging subscribers, especially in the first couple of days of a video's lifespan. Now, last week we had a great week uh, between that capsule projector and that uh, Game Boy case for the Raspberry Pi Zero that we reviewed. Those things are something that a lot of you are very much interested in, and that drove a lot of traffic. Uh, this week, these things didn't do as well. But I have found, though, over time, uh, some of these product-based videos do much, much better. So here's an example of one of those videos that did much better over time than when it first began. Uh, this chart here is for my Chromebook 101 video that I did way back in 2015. And the reason why I did that video initially was because I was getting a lot of people buying Chromebooks from me after I reviewed them and then returning them to me because they didn't run Windows and Microsoft Word and all the things that they were accustomed to. So I figured, you know what, there's a, there's a need out there for people to understand what a Chromebook is and what it isn't. So I made a video about it and it tanked. I thought it was going to do much, much better than uh, the way it did. And you can see here over a number of years, it was kind of stagnant. Uh, and then about a year and a half ago, it just took off. And this really coincides with consumer interest, I think, in Chromebooks and their availability and their overall 
Uh, usefulness has increased quite a bit, so it's getting now a lot more attention, as you can see here. Uh, and this video now is one of my top-grossing videos every single month for both revenue and views. So even though something I did a couple of years ago was disappointing from a performance standpoint, it actually came back and did much, much better much later in its life cycle. And that's why I do a lot of these product-based videos, because I am so optimized in search that... Uh, sometimes you never know what may not be interesting today could very well be interesting in the future. One thing I found with these PC reviews in particular is that a lot of times these computers will end up getting liquidated or go on sale a year or two from now, and you'll see a huge surge of traffic on these as people start trying to get some information on exactly what they might be buying. So I think we might see a little bit of a similar thing here with what we got on the Chromebook video. Now, one thing that's been very encouraging to me over the last couple of weeks uh, is the performance of the weekly wrap-up. This was last week's wrap-up. Uh, we got uh, a lot of viewership on this one compared to my other videos. And this chart is not just other wrap-up videos. This is everything on the channel. Uh, so I see tremendously greater viewer retention. Uh, we regularly get over 10 minutes of, of viewer watch time on uh, these videos on the average, which is outstanding for YouTube, I think. And you can also see here, based on views, just how well uh, this particular video is doing, and hopefully this one will too. Uh, the key to these, of course, is the topics that we talk about, and those topics often come from you. So that's why it's really uh, great that you all talk to me so much and to each other on our Facebook group, because that is really where I get a lot of the ideas for uh, what we do here on the wrap-up, and uh, things are really going well with this. And this show, by the way, uh, is consumed almost 100% by subscribers, uh, whereas my reviews are only getting about 20% subscriber traffic. So this is a real growth area for the channel, and it's a lot of fun to produce this for you every week. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye. The first item is this one from Lilliputing about the potential for an NVIDIA Shield 2-in-1 device, perhaps, that might be on the horizon. Uh, what they are citing are XDA developers who, uh, in their forum, noticed that there is some new device being referenced in the NVIDIA Shield experience. And I think this might happen at some point because, as you all know, the Nintendo Switch runs with the same processor as the NVIDIA Shield TV does, that chip is from way back in 2015 and, of course, was designed earlier than that. And my prediction from last year was that there will be a higher-powered switch on the horizon, and it would only make sense that NVIDIA might try to make their own Android device running with the similar hardware for some of the things that they want to continue doing in their uh, consumer hardware business. So we'll have to see what happens here, but I am excited. And if anything comes out, you know we'll get one and we'll do a full review here. Now also this week, Tesla provided more information about their autonomous driving technology, both the hardware and software that is getting installed into most of their new cars. And one of the things that they plan to do with this autonomous system is allow owners of Teslas to send their cars out and do Uber rides, essentially, that would be managed by Tesla, and Tesla would share the revenue from that ride with the owner of the car, except you, the owner, doesn't have to get in the car to actually let the car do its thing, and their hope is that they can uh, offer a service that's much less expensive than Uber, and given that there are a lot of Teslas out there, uh, you could basically have a network already in place without having to hire any drivers to do it. Now, I don't know how much regulatory approval they have to go through in each state to make this happen. 
uh, because clearly I think states will want to make sure that these cars are safe and can operate autonomously without any issues. My issue would be, though, allowing strangers into my car without any supervision in that vehicle. They probably won't be able to take over the car and drive it someplace else, but who knows what they might do with the car when they get into it. So I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle for Tesla is how many owners are going to be willing to uh, let strangers in their car unattended. And I was thinking about the uh, Turo uh, service, which allows people to rent other people's cars. And on the Tesla Model S Owners Club Facebook group, there's a horror story here about this guy who bought a 2016 Model S and one of his renters crashed the car. And he asked for some experiences that other people may have had with their Teslas getting totaled, but also what their experiences with Turo were. And there were some real horror stories here, including this guy who had uh, rented out his BMW. A woman got into a fender bender, didn't tell him, gave the police his uh, car insurance, uh, and it became a real mess for him. And I think many others have had uh, similar problems as well. Now, one of the things that Tesla is doing for this service is installing a camera in the rear view mirror housing inside of the car. And apparently that camera is used for sentry mode, which is their security system. But Elon Musk also said that uh, they're going to be monitoring passengers in the car to make sure that they don't damage it while they are getting one of those autonomous rides. So this is going to be interesting to see how all this plays out. I think 2020 is a stretch. I think the software might be somewhat workable at that point, but I can't see any state or any jurisdiction allowing these cars driving without any human intervention this soon. Now, Tesla has been the most aggressive automaker designing autonomous systems, and my pick of the week this week is a live stream that they posted about that work. They have uh, kind of unveiled some of the things that they're doing with autonomy, including a brand new GPU that they developed for this purpose. And it looks like it might actually be ahead of some of their uh, competitors, namely NVIDIA, Intel, and others, insofar as what it can process uh, in a given time. And they talk about their philosophy as it relates to autonomy, uh, why they don't use LiDAR, for example, and rely on video cameras to provide the data to the system. Uh, They also talk about uh, how the software works and all the different things that have been going into this development. And it's pretty remarkable how quickly they've gone from zero to this, because what happened a number of years ago was uh, Tesla, of course, introduced their autopilot feature that used existing off-the-shelf lane-keeping technology involving radar and cameras. The supplier of that technology cut Tesla off because they didn't like what they were doing with their tech. They didn't think it was designed to be an autonomous driving system. So Tesla went out and uh, designed it themselves. And uh, most new Tesla vehicles have the hardware to make this work. Some might have to get upgraded to this new computer system, but apparently everything rolling off the line right now, whether it's a Model S, X, or 3, Uh, will have this new hardware inside. And once they uh, send the software to you, apparently the cars will begin autonomous driving once they feel like it's prepared enough for uh, the public to start playing with. And I think this is dangerous for the company because it will be kind of a beta rollout as it happens. Uh, It's, you know, 99% of the way there, but it's always those extra 0.9s there that become a big issue. And we'll have to see exactly what happens. There undoubtedly will be some accidents and bad press about it. And that's one thing that Tesla has been uh, not as concerned about with their systems versus other automakers. 
Uh, when I was at CES a few years ago, there was a self-driving car that was doing parking lot rides, and I went on this thing, and it felt really good. It felt like it was really able to navigate things well. It stopped for a pedestrian that walked in front of the car, and it was a production vehicle. And I asked the uh, representative from the car manufacturer, hey, why aren't you just making this happen right now? And they said, we're really nervous about being the first out of the gate with this. We don't want to be the first autonomous driving accident, and we don't want to be blamed, even if it wasn't our fault for our cars running people over. Uh, but Tesla doesn't have those fears, and they're really, really pushing this aggressively. So stay tuned. We're going to see this uh, rolling out very shortly to Tesla owners, and shortly thereafter, they might try to launch this taxi service. And the real question is the regulators, and we'll have to keep an eye on all of that. So we some fun things to keep an eye on uh, as this year develops. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from Jeff Jones in response to the video we just did on moving and synchronizing playlists between many different streaming services. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this because he raises a good point. What's the value in having a full-time synchronization service for playlists? And clearly it's something that I think is a very particular need. And that service that we looked at uh, in that video looked to be rather expensive, $36 a year to keep all of your playlists in sync. Uh, one area, though, where I could see some value to doing synchronization, not necessarily a monetary value, but a value nonetheless, is when it comes to voice services and how they interact with all these different music services. So, for example, I use Google Home a lot here in my house because I have one of those uh, Google Homes with a display up in my kitchen, and I'm regularly talking to it for kitchen timers and other things that I'm trying to get information on. I really like Google's Assistant. It works very well for me. Uh, and if you go into the app to configure it for music services, uh, you are fairly limited. You have YouTube Music, Google Play Music, Pandora, Deezer, and Spotify. Now, as you all know, I'm also a person that uses the Amazon A-Word from time to time. And so on Amazon, you can use, of course, Amazon's music services, uh, but they also allow you to link up other services. But unfortunately, that linkage is not all that nice. So for example, if I just want the A-word to play music on Amazon, I just ask it to play an artist's name. Uh, but in order to get it to work with other music services, I have to use additional instructions here. Play it on Apple Music or play it on Tidal. It's not as seamless as just saying, hey, play that playlist of the great hair bands from the 80s for me. I have to remember which service I want it to play back on. So it's not a huge inconvenience on the Amazon A-word, but there is still an extra step to involve those other services. Uh, it will play back music, of course, from Amazon with a simple request of a title or a playlist, and here you've got to uh, tell it what service to use also. And of course, you've got Apple's Siri, which is a total mess. Look what you have to do just to get Spotify to work with a voice command on the iPhone. It's crazy. You've got to install scripts. You've got to use Siri shortcuts and everything else, and it gets to be a lot of work to get all that stuff translated. Now, for me, I have Apple Music on my iPhone, and I also have YouTube Music through my YouTube Premium subscription, and then I maintain a free Spotify account where I've got a bunch of playlists that I uh, talked about in the video that we did last week. Uh, so I really found some value in getting some of those playlists moved around so that I can ask for the same thing on all my different voice assistants and get the music to play. Uh, and that's certainly a lot easier than having to build those myself. And maybe there is some value for syncing, but 
36 bucks a year for the service that we talked about in the video. Uh, it's just a little bit too much for me, especially since they only let you sync 10 playlists at a time. And once again, we've got something from Commodore to talk about. Commodore is on our Facebook group quite a bit and always bringing up these great topics that lead me down some research rabbit holes. And he's bringing up today a topic about piracy and streaming exclusivity. Uh, he pointed me to a video that talks about the fact that we're seeing a lot of piracy develop because of all the streaming exclusivity out there. You got stuff that's on Netflix and nowhere else. You've got Disney coming up with their own streaming service and pulling all of their content off of Netflix and shutting consumers out of that content unless they pay another monthly fee over there. Uh, we talked about on this channel whether or not consumers might be getting a little burned out from all of these subscription services. And I thought I would dig into this topic a little bit and see what is going on. Now, what's interesting is that Netflix acknowledges that piracy is a big problem for them, but not in the way you might think. I took a look at their Form 10-K from the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, This is something that they have to file to be compliant with U.S. federal law, and they talk about all of the opportunities and all of the challenges that lay ahead for their business. And they talk about piracy in this way. Uh, They look at it as... Uh, one of the key competitors to their business. But they're not complaining about people pirating their content necessarily. It's about all content that's out there that's being offered for free that is pirated. So it's not just Netflix stuff. It is any kind of service or website that would provide enough value to somebody for free where they wouldn't think that paying more money for a Netflix subscription is worth doing. And that's what they see as the big competitive threat here. It's not the same argument the record industry was making, which was saying, hey, we're trying to sell content to all these people and they're stealing it. Netflix is saying that if a pirated service can offer consumers for free what they charge for, irrespective of what content is on that service, that presents a significant threat to their business. And because this is a global internet, uh, sometimes these sites operate Uh, out of reach of law enforcement, which makes it very hard for those services to get shut down. Now, Commodore expanded his question when he wrote it here to also compare what happened with the record industry. They all remember around the turn of the 21st century, we had sites like Napster that were allowing people to swap high quality music with each other without paying for it. That certainly was an issue for the record industry. But now we've got all of these streaming services that most of the major labels are providing content to in exchange for licensing. So the big question here is, are the studios selling us subscriptions now or are they selling us content like they used to? And the answer is, it is all about subscriptions. That is why Netflix is becoming a studio themselves because they need to not sell you this content, they need to keep you as a subscriber and they need to get you talking about what you're seeing so that your friends will subscribe as well. It is about retention and attracting new subscribers. And they said as much in their 10K filing, their core business strategy is to grow their streaming membership business globally within the parameters of their profit margin targets. They are not talking about making movies to sell them in movie theaters for tickets. They're not talking about selling Blu-rays or DVDs or selling digital downloads that you can retain and keep. It is all about subscribers and every uh, bit of new content that they create is an effort to retain that 14 or 15 bucks or whatever they're charging you a month to have you as a subscriber to their service, nothing more. That is why Amazon has Prime Video That exists to make sure that you don't leave Amazon Prime. It's a portion of the value proposition to you. 
because they know that if you're a Prime member, your first place you're going to look when you go to buy something online is them because you've made that annual commitment to them and you know you're going to get that free shipping. And even if they lose money on the video, it's retaining you as a subscriber, which is important to the rest of their business. And the same can be said of CBS All Access and Disney Plus and everything else. And the reason why subscribers and streaming is so important is because of what happened to the record industry. So check this out. This is the RIAA's 2018 year-end revenue statistics where they detail all the money they made selling media to consumers. Now remember, the record industry largely doesn't sell direct to consumer. They go through third-party distributors, whether it's an online streaming service like Spotify or Google Play Music or Apple iTunes, or selling through a retailer where you can go out and buy a CD. That's how that industry has worked forever, and they've largely stuck to that model even in this modern era. So if we look at their digital sales first, you can see they made a grand total of $8.4 billion. It's a pretty nice increase over 2017. A bulk of that now is coming from streaming services. This is where a bulk of the record industry consumer sales are coming from. And remember, they don't control any of these sales. They're all going through these distributors. Uh, there might be a few areas like Sony that owns both the, uh, the service and the record label, but largely uh, this is what's happening here. Uh, they sold about a billion dollars worth of direct permanent downloads to folks, and you can see the breakdown there. They're also still selling physical media, and it's not a bad business. It's actually doing better, I think, than many people might expect. Uh, in 2019, we're still selling CDs, although as you can see here, they're down uh, pretty significantly. Units have dropped by about 40%. Uh, vinyl sales are looking actually up about 8% here. Uh, and there's also music video sales and other physical media. And the grand total that the record industry made selling its content uh, was $9.8 billion. Again, they're selling their content through third-party distributors just like they've always been doing it. But if you look at what's happened to the record industry, you'll see why everyone is so focused on streaming subscriptions in TV and movie land. And that is what you see here on screen. This is an inflation-adjusted revenue chart of the record industry. We are over here. Look at what it was back in 1975. It's actually lost ground uh, from where they were 40 years ago. That is not what you would expect out of a huge industry uh, that's producing very popular content. The peak was 1999, right before the Napster thing hit, and then it just dropped like a rock because consumers wanted a more convenient way to get their media, and it took the record industry a very long time to offer those alternatives to people, and even when they did, they were still stuck in this old world notion of having to go through third-party distribution, and this is why you're seeing direct-to-consumer now from Disney and from CBS, and I think what we'll see in the future from many other studios, because that subscription revenue is going to make a lot more money in the end here. How much money, you ask? Well, Disney is projecting uh, a good amount of subscribers from their service, priced at $6.99. Uh, they expect 60 million to 90 million subscribers. This is what they're telling their shareholders. And they do expect to lose some money on this initially because they have to get more content in there to attract those subscribers. But they uh, do think it will end up being profitable. And I would believe that because if you do the math on this, uh, you can see even at their low estimate, they're going to bring in $419 million a month 
That is one month, and you can see uh, where it scales up from there as the numbers increase. And remember, Disney just doesn't just do content. They've got theme parks. They can interact with you that way. Uh, they can sell you merchandise for, for their movies and TV shows, toys and T-shirts and stuffed animals and everything else that they sell that my uh, daughters have all over the house. So there's a lot of additional revenue for Disney in particular that goes beyond just what they're streaming to you. But they can make a lot of money doing this. Uh, and if you compare that to what they made with their movies in 2018, their movies grossed $7 billion, uh, which is a lot. But you think about it, they can make just as much, if not more, through the streaming service and develop a better relationship directly with their customers that they don't have now. And I think that's why the service is priced where it is. That's why they can afford to price it where it's at. And that's also why I don't think you'll see much of an increase of that subscription price over time. This is one piece of Disney's puzzle, and it's going to be a very profitable one at that. And we're seeing similar things happening now in the video game industry. Uh, Xbox, of course, has their Game Pass service where you can get access to the Xbox exclusives uh, through a monthly subscription fee. Uh, There's also, of course, EA Access that is doing similar things with electronic arts games. And I think we're going to see more and more of this on the video gaming side because there's a lot of parallels between these AAA video games and major motion picture studios in that these are enormous projects, enormous budgets, a large number of staff that you have to support. And the $60 game price, which has been in place for the last 15 years or so, is not enough to be profitable. So they sell you half a game at $59 and then hit you with all the in-app purchases and all the other garbage that they're selling you as a microtransaction. And gamers are rejecting that. And I think what's going to happen here is that they're going to be pushed into the subscription models where uh, you don't have to pay all that extra stuff. You pay a monthly fee. They get a whole bunch of subscribers that can support everything. And that will end up being the future of AAA gaming. That is my prediction. And we're already seeing it here, both with EA and Microsoft. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sony does the same thing as well, because it's just not a sustainable business to sell people media any longer. Now, my Q&A for you this week is what do you think about this? Do you think the subscription model is something you like, especially if you can get really high quality content out of it? Or would you still prefer to buy your media? And what do you think the business model might be given what we're seeing here with the record industry? It's just not all that viable any longer, unfortunately. And it's also going to make it a lot harder for smaller people to be able to compete in this way because if people aren't buying media any longer, you've got to get picked by one of these platforms to offer your content to the world. Again, I'd love to hear what you think down below in the comments or on the Facebook group. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things that I'm working on. Uh, The first thing that is ready to go is a review of a Chromebook, just like we talked about a little bit earlier in the wrap-up here. This is the HP Chromebook X360. It's already ready to go, so you'll probably see this review on Tuesday or Wednesday. We're also going to play around with the beta version of Microsoft Edge, And as you all know, we do a lot with Edge on the channel because I look at a lot of low-end PCs. And what we've found over the years is that YouTube runs better on Edge on a low-end PC versus Chrome. And now what's happening with Edge is that they are integrating Chromium uh, as the browser engine of Edge. So Edge is essentially going to be running with the same uh, open source architecture as the Chrome browser. And I'm eager to see what that might mean for watching video on some of these low-end PCs, because Microsoft's version of Edge has long supported hardware decoding of video where Chrome didn't support it as well. 
And if you were looking at 60 hertz video on uh, YouTube, we were seeing some frame drops and everything. So I'm curious to see if this will do any better than the Chrome browser will. And if not, we're going to see maybe a degradation of video performance on low-end PCs. It's a topic we've covered many times before, and we'll be looking at that hopefully later this week. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex. So if you want to sign up for Plex, even a free account, we'll get a small commission. If you go to the link you see on screen, lon.tv Plex, and we get a slightly larger commission if you sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. And you can check all of that out there on screen. And uh, we also have other channels you can check me out on, including my Extras channel, where we upload unboxings and supplementary content. We also have my podcast feed where I have audio versions of this show for you to listen to. We have the Snippets channel where I take portions of this show and upload it in a more search-friendly manner. And that's been actually growing pretty nicely lately. So you can subscribe to that if you don't want to watch this whole thing. You'll get portions of it uh, every couple of days. And we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams where we have all of the live streams archived for playback. And if you like what I do and want to find out more, uh, you can notify yourself by clicking on the bell icon. And every time I go live or upload a video, you will get an email and a notification pushed out to your mobile devices. Now, there's other ways to engage with the channel. You can go to lon.tv email and get a very occasional email that will notify you of specials and some other things that I've been up to lately. I think I'm going to be doing one uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, we also have my Facebook page at lon.tv Facebook, where you can interact with me there. And we have the Facebook group, which is where I get a lot of great topics for this show at lon.tv Facebook group. We're getting close to 700 people in there. So sign up and join the discussion. And then we have my store where I sell things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel. And you can often get new things at a very low price, but there's only one of everything because it's the item that I reviewed here. And if you want to be notified every time we add something to the store, you can sign up for a special email for that That address is on screen. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your continued support and comments. Again, all of that stuff comes back to helping improve the channel and improves this show quite a bit. And I greatly appreciate everyone's support. And I'll see you again very soon. Until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.